good afternoon, you're on the panel. RNZ National, Alan Blackman and Ali Jones with me this afternoon. And to this, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins and Children's Minister Calvin Davis this afternoon announced their next component of his party's latest law and order package. Work uh, will start towards building two new youth justice units that will cater to up to 30 higher-needs youth. The Prime Minister added these units will aim to provide more intensive support for the most serious offenders and will predominantly cater for older teenagers. There is a big difference between a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old in the support and guidance that they need. And yesterday he said that those who publish records of criminal behaviour on social media will receive stronger punishments as it'll be considered by judges as an aggravating factor in sentencing. Hipkins said Kiwis have had a gutsful of people thinking the rules don't apply to them and I have had a gutsful as well. And this comes on the back of a spate of ram raids and youth-related crime countrywide. With us to discuss is criminal defence lawyer Marie Dyberg, KC. Marie, kia ora. It's very nice to have you on the panel. Thank you, Wallace. Nice to be on it. What do you see with this latest announcement and yesterday's, Marie? I, well, where it just stopped yesterday, it was a little bit disconcerting. But this is very uh, positive and very refreshing to see the units being built because it's been in the wings for a while that, of course, the hard line doesn't work, that a great number of the more serious offenders who are very traumatised and damaged youth anyway, once they uh, leave the care and the protection and the resources of the youth court are pretty much thrown on on the heap and there's nothing for them. So it's good to see that the the crossover here, the youth rehabilitation will continue to them as they're older, and that is is a lot more positive to put the money into rehabilitation. And I guess the proof will be in the pudding, or rather the devil in the detail on just what these youth justice units that will cater to up to 30 higher needs youth, what they'll look like, how they'll be resourced, what sort of in-person care there'll be, many questions still to come. Indeed, uh, but the spotlight will be on them and science has been telling us, particularly neuroscience for a long time, has actually been developing and telling us that you have a lot of these offenders, they they're cannot have any sort of empathy or remorse because they are so damaged. They suffer from dreadful um, um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, brain injury, ADHD, autism. And now that there is that connection to show that there is a component where they're unable to empathise, to have remorse, or take responsibility, you've got to deal with those disorders at the same time as holding them accountable for their mistakes and imprisonment has to be a measure of last resort. Let's bring in our panel. Ellie Jones, let's bring you in. 
Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, I think you'll probably know what I'm going to say because I have said it before. Mari, what I'm interested in here is, to me, this is a little bit like shutting the gate after the horse has bolted. I acknowledge that this is positive for this point in time and the issues we're having to deal with. But shouldn't the government, and whatever colour, whatever side of the house is in government, shouldn't they also be announcing at the same time something that allows these young people a better chance in not getting in to that circumstance, that we get into early intervention as suggested in Justice Roper's court uh, report of 87, that, you know, we, we allow, for example, midwives. Midwives could be referring some of these families that have got generational dysfunction uh, as a history here, and we should be getting in really early, not when someone's 15, not when someone's 20, but while the mother is pregnant. Well, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. 100%. Hundred percent with you, and and we have to get the community, you know, society to say, you know, with these young children at five years old when they start school, you know exactly the vulnerable families, you know exactly the ones that are going to be heading down the wrong path unless there is a lot of resources uh, spent on them and intervened at that early stage. We have been saying that, Ali, for years and years. So why the reluctance, Murray? Why why is there not, uh, you know, as much focus on this and resourcing of this? It's not rocket science, right? No, it's not. But I think there, um, and I have to be very careful (laughs) what I say, but I have a number of friends who are, are really incensed that we spend their tax dollar on people that they see as degenerate, as people who aren't prepared to help themselves they just want to live on drugs and stuff mm-hmm. and that is far from the case so again it's that awful thing about saying you need to really take this as a 20-year project and to hell with what anybody else says about where their tax dollar goes and making them money these are people who are damaged generations damaged we've got to intervene and we have to do support Again, health support, all sorts of education, all sorts of budgeting, drug and alcohol um, addiction, and it's not because they are weak uh, people not worth saving. They absolutely are, and that's where we have to go. I'm 100% with you, right. and that's what every government should be stepping up and doing. <coughs> Alan, Andrew Beecroft said sorry. it for years. Yeah, sorry, Marie. Right. Yeah, let's bring in Alan Blackman. <clears throat> yeah, Marie. Um, I guess I'm surprised at the... The size of the units, only 30, um, that seems to me to be a very, very small number. But, um, (laughs) you know, and and I'm sure there's a hell of a lot more kids out there that need the help. So, you know, we must be talking the the really, really damaged kids, as as you say. But, um, I mean, the Labour government has, has gone on about that they want to decrease the prison population and I'm totally with you two, you know, the, the easiest way to decrease the prison population is to stop people getting into prison in the first place. It's mm. surely early intervention, prevent crime and and absolutely central to that is education. It, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, it it's surely a no-brainer and surely, as you say, governments of both hues should mm. be working at this. But what about the now? Um, by the way, we are with um, Marie Dyberg KC this afternoon on the panel. I mean... It, is, is it fair to say, e- echoing uh, the Prime Minister, that people have just had 
a guts for they've had enough and if you own a small bricks and mortar business yes you can have your education but you want a solution now it's going to always be back in in the back of your mind when you go to work in the morning will i be next am i being broken into this week marie what what do you what do you see when you see these uh, news reports i think i think you've hit it on the head because if only the media stopped reporting the glamour that some people say and say, hey, that was me, look at me, and I'm ram raiding and doing all the rest. It, all along the way, there are types of crimes that become prevalent. They become a lot more uh, often, you know, a lot more sort of, you know, recurring. And then they fade away because everyone steps in. So at the moment, it is ram raiding. Now, that does not help the small business owners because, of course, they don't know if they're going to be next. Component of I, my view is for the um, Ram Raiders at the moment is that you give either tax breaks or money to the smaller businesses to say, look, uh, barricade yourself. If I have to come into a dairy and somebody's behind a cage or there are barriers, I won't mind that because it protects you. We have to give the victims of this as well a real financial backup. Once you start collecting these young people who are part and parcel of the RAM raids, once you start getting the older people who are actually parties to this as well, and that's that other component about making it aggravating because a lot of these kids are, are being led by the older ones, when you start, you know, hitting them hard about the repercussions and then you get them under your wing, you'll find it will ease off, but but it will take a while. But again, it's just that, the, you know, the, the fear in the media, and the young kids kind of, you know, they're broken, so they think it's smart. They say, oh, yes, that's me, or, or what a good idea that is, and that doesn't help the situation. But there will come a period where these people, even if they're in the 18 to 25-year-old group, they will be held accountable, they will be being worked with to turn them around uh, and with a bit of luck there will be some help uh, for people who want to protect their businesses. It's got to be both sides. Marie Dyberg, it's a pleasure having you on the programme and I appreciate your time today. Not at all. Thank you, Wallace. That's your criminal defence lawyer, Marie Dyberg, KC. Some uh, salient points made there. A lot of food for thought in that, and I welcome your responses uh, on that. 18 past four. Another big news today Countdown Supermarkets are to rebrand back to Woolworths <laughs> in a move that the Australian supermarket giant says comes as part of a transformation program. They were called Woolworths a bit rebranded in 20, 2011. Can you recall shopping at your local Woolies? Uh, Woolworths opened the first store in 1929 Wellington and there has been scrutiny on supermarkets hasn't there in the country in the last year with a Commerce Commission market study into the sector. With us uh, to discuss is Dr Bodo Lang, Professor of Marketing at Massey University. Uh, Dr Lang, kia ora. Kia ora Wallace, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks for being with us uh, Bodo. So Countdown Supermarkets will be rebranded as Woolworths from next year my first question, I guess, is why change such a well-known brand? I think it's a great question, Wallace, and I'm kind of struggling a little bit myself to explain <laughs> this. I can, at the moment, only really think of risks um, for Woolworths. And the first one is that I think 
rebranding as Woolworths, you know, which is unusual, bringing a brand, a brand yeah. back. So rebranding as Woolworths, I think, will make the Australian ownership just a little bit more transparent to some consumers. And that will, you know, possibly lower their intention to purchase their groceries from that store. Um, and obviously, rebranding costs a lot of money. It'll be in the tens of millions of dollars. And businesses tend to pass on costs to consumers. Well, the timing is not ideal. We're at an all-time uh, high for food, food grocery prices. And certainly, their affordability is at an all-time low. So I think consumers may be worried that these costs will be passed on to them in the midst of what can only be described as a cost of living crisis. Okay. Um, Ellie Aboda here, not entirely convinced about uh, this rebrand. I, I can remember shopping at Woolies uh, back in the day. What about you, Ellie Jones? Yeah, well, I remember it more from the uh, from the UK, actually. Oh, yeah. um, it was about that time. But look, I'm, I'm with you guys. Why? That was the first question that I had. And what I was really interested in is um, there's there's a lot of um, there are a lot of catchphrases in the reporting on this, but little substance in what was being said. So we heard, for example, from someone in, in Countdown, there will be a refreshed loyalty program focused on providing more value and a materially improved fresh offer. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> and then the other thing, the managing director of Countdown and Woolworths Group New Zealand, Spencer Sun, said the supermarket retail had been working hard to become a better business, and it was time to accelerate that change. Now, there are four or five up five other comments there. Bodo, my question for you, because this clearly makes absolutely no sense at all, has this got anything to do with shoring uh, Woolworths up in the face of potential greater competition in New Zealand? Possibly. I think it's one of those moves that makes a lot of sense to people who are at the marketing headquarters in Sydney or, or Melbourne. But I think it makes little sense to um, New Zealand consumers who, frankly, couldn't care whether there's brand <laughs> consistency across Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> all, New Zealand's, all, of, all that New Zealand consumers really want is you know, the products that they want um, to purchase at a convenient location at the lowest possible price. And I think this, this is not going to get them any closer to that, I think. And I think the only way I can see this you know, being a winning move is if we'll truly, you know, innovate their operating model and think very clearly of how they can cut, you know, profits, uh, but also their costs to actually deliver better value to consumers, because I think that's what consumers would be really mm. responsive to. Anthony's written in, uh, my first job was at Woolworth Dinsdale, Hamilton as a butchery boy. I keep calling that Countdown Woolworth, so good I'll be right again finally, <laughs> says Anthony Alan Blackman. <clears throat> Yeah, well, I guess you'd call it a re-rebranding, wouldn't you? Yeah. I suppose. And um, so then presumably the big admission here is that they got the rebranding, the original one, wrong. Um, and, you know, it just it just Back seems, to the future. It seems nuts to me, but I don't inhabit the real world. I'm in academia, so I know nothing about the real world. I remember the Woolworths and George Street and Dunedin, and it wasn't yes. sort of a it, it wasn't That's a right. supermarket. It was a sort of a more of a That's department right. store. I want to know mm. if they're going to bring back pick and mix. That's my big question. <laughs> I'm not I like the sure. green. I like the green of Countdown. I'll really miss that. I, I enjoy seeing that green. Well, on that, uh, Abodo, uh, are customers supermarket loyal? Because uh, looking at my family, for example, we are. We go to one and one only. Uh, I can imagine you don't tend to shop around when it comes to supermarkets. No, correct, Wallace. I think New Zealanders, well, not just New Zealanders, but generally speaking, consumers are very um, store loyal, maybe not so much brand loyal. And really what it comes down to is location. And 
supermarkets in New Zealand tend to be very large. Um, and so therefore they obviously require a big piece of real estate. And as we know from last year's Commerce Commission report, there's not many of those pieces of land left. And so we tend to be creatures of habit. And so even if consumers may disagree with the rebranding next year, you know, it's unlikely that we will see a a landslide shift in market shares, but there might be a bit of a trickle, and even a trickle might be enough to be a bit of a disaster, to be honest, because the grocery market is worth billions, and any shift in single percentage points in market share is certainly worth it. So I think... um, uh, I think foodstuffs will be watching all of this with great interest. And I think that, that the one thing that they will probably be most worried about is just what else might be in the pipeline. You know, your panelists mentioned there's all these statements in the press release, but, but what's the substance? If there's something substantial that will actually lower food prices or somehow dramatically improve their offering, right. that could be a worry for foodstuffs. But otherwise, so far, I think they're probably feeling quite lucky. Interesting, Dr. Ling. Very uh, interesting to see what will happen in terms of uh, whether or not Woolworths will really gain that foothold. For now, though, thanks for being on. That's uh, Professor Lang, uh, Massey University Marketing. Good grief, Wallace, says Wendy. Uh, Woolworths seemed like yesterday. I recall when I had to get groceries bought between 9 and 5.30 with a late-night Friday. (laughs) No no weekends at all, and most women, men in a supermarket, were a rare sight. Uh, didn't have access to a car either. 24 past for the panel. Bitter response also to Ali Jones's I've Been Thinking, and I do want to get to that really soon, but why isn't there more whistling these days? <laughs> I mean, Roger Whittaker, the legend, why don't singers whistle more? Has Lord ever whistled in her songs? No. Has Taylor Swift or Dave Dobbin? Uh, there was an article in The Guardian about how whistling has really gone out of fashion. And with us now, who is, I understand, a pretty good whistler, Mike. Welcome to the panel, Mike. Hi, Wallace. How are you? Very, very well. Do you reckon you have got a couple of bars of whistling for the nation this afternoon? Um, Well, I just listened to Roger then, and um, I don't know if I match up. I am a self-proclaimed reasonably good whistler, (laughs) Wallace, but we'll give it it a nudge. Here we go. Yeah, Mike, yep, there we go. that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, word for word, um, channel, <laughs> channeling <laughs> Roger Whitaker, Mike. So what, what do you think of this? Do you think that it has gone out of fashion? Because I don't hear it. Well, it has. To give you some context, I spent the first 30 years of my farming life um, as a cropping farmer, and so I spent a lot of time alone, and I figured out, after all those hours sitting in a tractor that I could either whistle or I could talk to myself. So whistling was the lesser evil. Um, and I, and I, you know, I wasn't conscious, but I've obviously got a reasonably good ear. Um, and some people were captivated by whistling, but I've found more and more people just get irritated by whistling. Yeah. Um, and, it's, yeah. and especially in my family, um, it's just not tolerated. So even to the point where my uh, daughter dominates the radio in the car and there is one reasonably... Um, 
modern pop song. It's got a whistling component, and I quietly whistle along to that. And she still picked up and said, "Stop it! That's annoying." <laughs> Did you hear that, Ellie? Uh, the yep. fact of the matter is, and I think you agree that people these days find whistling irritating. Where twenty five years ago, it was a dumb thing. Roger Whittaker whistled. I think there's another reason here, and I think that life has become so busy now that the relaxed cardigan-wearing sound of Roger Whittaker is not something <laughs> that is embraced by many anymore, that there is a, there's a, a manic nature in a lot of the things that we're listening to and doing, and whistling is a relaxing uh, uh, thing for people to do when they're not busy, and everyone's busy. I think that's got something to do with it, don't you? Mike? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, there's a there's there's that connection, isn't there, between smiling and endorphins? And and I know I whistle when I'm in a generally good mood, or if I do whistle, it lifts. Um, mm. It's very hard to whistle if you're so, smiling. I don't. Yeah. It's impossible, Ellie. <laughs> 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 but, 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 but there is yeah, maybe there's a connection there. It's. Uh, I mean, I I whistle when I'm relaxed and. Mm. Um, Nothing else is occupying my mind. So, I, lo- I love it. You um, keep well, yeah. you keep whist- you keep whistling, Mike, <laughs> Ellen. Well, you can't whistle rap, can you? So you know that sort of stops that Fair in enough. its tracks. Um, <clears throat> you know things like um, Colonel Bogey March from you know Bridge Over the River Kwai. That was that was a whistler. Um, I was Kaiser Bill's Batman. Remember that? They always had that on You've telethon. Done some research. Oh, yeah, I'm, you know I know whistling from way back. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I think. Um, probably the reason we don't whistle is we're all too busy got our earbuds in when yeah. we're walking down the street. So, so there's no need to whistle because you have your music with you. They, they, they listen to podcasts, Mike. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, there, yeah. Yeah, there probably is an element to that. I, I created sound long before um, iPods and the likes. So, yeah, there's a bit of, um, there's a bit of creating your own, uh, own music to it, I guess. Good on you. Hey, really nice to have you on, Mike. Uh, and um, look, uh, please, from all of us around the country, keep up the whistling. That was actually really fantastic there. Cheers, Wallace. Good on you. Uh, yeah, a bit of response on that. Hey, Amy Winehouse could whistle Doug uh, from WHE. What's that? Um, and we listened to Molly Lewis, young woman with amazing albums, all whistled. Just a quick word on this, actually, regarding feedback. Um, Kia ora, I think Loza says, I think your panellist, Ali Jones, got it the wrong way around in terms of sexism in the work-home divide. Of course I understand why it's easier for women in our patriarchal society to work from home, but why the F are the women doing all the housework and childcare anyway? This could be an opportunity to share working in and out of the home while sharing the childcare and doing the bloody laundry. <laughs> Sorry for the language, says Lola, but it irritates me when we accept the norm that the women do it all. Ellie? No that's, abs- no, that's absolutely right. But what I will add to that is I do think we do, we, we, we make a, what's the, we make a rod for our own back. That's what I'm looking for. And the reason is I would rather clean the toilet because I know I'm going to do a good job. I do think that's a part of it really? as well. But yeah, Oh, hell You're kidding yeah. me. Oh, God, no. I'd rather do it myself and have it done properly. That's just a... <laughs> what, Wallace? That's just oh. what? <laughs> Why don't you say to your partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, loved one that 
you pick up the brush. This is this is the way to clean the toilet. This is the way to stack the dishes. Because my husband of thirty years is a chef and does wonderful cooking in the kitchen, which I don't normally do. So it's give and take in our relationship, and that's the giving and the taking. Mm. All right, very good. Uh, you're on the panel, <laughs> RNZ National. Alan Blackman, Ali Jones, with me. It is time for headlines.